Lord, I just pray that as we open up your word and we look at some serious stuff, Jesus is being arrested and tried, and the weight of sin is upon him, and one of his own disciples betrayed him, and now his lead disciple is going to be scared and deny him. Help us to learn from this that we can trust you. You've got the whole world in your hand, and not to make the same mistakes these guys made. And when we do make these mistakes, if we do, to come to you quickly in repentance and humility. Thank you for opening up your word test today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's dig right in. Turn your Bibles to John 18. We're going to be talking about the arrest. And now I have my pointer so you can see where I am when I'm talking about things. Uh, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officer of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. That's kind of where we left off last week with the kiss of death right? The betrayal of Judas. Um, so we pick up in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Side note, uh, John always refers to himself in kind of the third person. So the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved is John talking about himself as he writes the book of John. Uh, since that disciple, that'd be John, was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So uh, if you kind of harmonize the Gospels, Jesus is arrested in the garden when Judas betrays him. He's led off first to Annas, and then Annas gets tired of him, and then he sends him to Caiaphas. And uh, John is able to follow because he has friends in high places. And Peter, well, Peter's got to stay outside for a while. But eventually... Uh, Peter's let in. For right now, Peter stays out and John gets in. So the disciples are still trying to follow Jesus at this point and figure out what's going on. They're confused by what went on with the whole upper room. And I'm giving my life for you. Then the whole sweating blood in the garden. And now Judas, their own disciple, one of the 12, betraying him. you got to just put yourself in Peter's shoes for a second before we judge him too easily. So John gets in and Peter's stuck outside. So let's look at the next slide, next few verses. But Peter stood outside the door. Hmm. He had no way to get in. He's just a fisherman, right? So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, that's John, and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. There you go. So John, through the servant girl, brought Peter in. Oh. This is tragic, but the servant girl, think about this, lowly servant girl working here at the door said to Peter, and she seems pretty harmless, but you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. There he is. Hmm. Denial number one. <laughs> Peter is afraid of the servant girl and lies to protect himself. Has that not happened at times in your own life? It seems like no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord and how faithful you are, sometimes when you're caught by surprise and you're caught off guard, the first thing is self-protection, and you just blurt out what seems to get you out of trouble. It's kind of like what Peter did. And it might be understandable, as I'm trying to understand Peter and get in his shoes, it might be understandable that it was just... He got cut off guard. He's walking in. There's some server girl. And what's she? who is she? And she's saying, aren't you one of them? No, of course I'm not. Right? We call them little white lies. But there's nothing little or white about them. It's that self-preservation instinct. 
And here is what's tragic about Peter. Remember in Matthew we get the detail. Before the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was telling Peter that this was going to happen, that the disciples would run away from him. And Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not betray you. I think I can show it to you, right? It's hard to see up top there, but there it is. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter had good intentions, but he was yet to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So they were just intentions of man, which aren't bad, but good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So in that context, it is actually pretty tragic that he had just been warned that this was going to happen. And then it did happen. He ended up. Well, with denial number one. So uh, the application for me is, well, we all know the good intentions of men and where they get us. Let's get my laser pointer back out. There we go. So when I switch off, it disappears. I need to know that. So let's see what happens. This is called the rationalization, right? <laughs> Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire. There's a side note here, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. But that's why charcoal fire is in bold. Otherwise, it might just pass you by. If you know me, you know the point I'm going to make on this. Because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Now this is there's no denial. There's not this is not denial number two. But I call this the rationalization. It's kind of a side note, but really not. It's kind of important. It's telling you, don't get comfortable warming yourself at the enemy's fire. See, he got let in, and he already has denied that he knew Christ won, so he's already going down this slippery slope of rationalizing what he's saying and why he's saying, I'm just trying to protect myself, and I want to see what's happening to Jesus. But now it's kind of cold, and the trial's going through the night, and he sneaks over, and he begins to warm himself at the enemy's fire. Jesus, the brother of James, in James 4.4 4 said, Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Hmm. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. And it must have been a serious thing here, this rationalization. If you think about it, come on, just think about it for a second. As Peter is rationalizing what he's done and why he's there, and then he's drawn like a moth to the flame to this fire, and he's warming himself, and he's listening to them, He's getting closer and closer to the enemy camp. Hmm. Have we done that? Are you? Am I? Do we find ourselves more comfortable around the enemy's camp? Are we warming ourselves around the things that make us an enemy of God? Are the things of the world that it says friendship with these is hatred towards God? Do these become our friends? Are we more comfortable around the enemy's campfire? than around the things of the Lord? Do the things of the world, is that is that where you're more at peace than around God and his word and prayer and Christian service? Where do you find your comfort? Don't start that rationalization slide down in what you're doing. He was lying. And then he found himself in a place where he was more comfortable around the people, the enemies of God, warming himself. 
either fire. And the reason that's important that it's mentioned as a charcoal fire is because there's only the charcoal fire is only mentioned one other time in Scripture. Uh, let's see if I can uh, show it to you. John 21, when he's restoring them. They were fishing and, of course, not catching a thing, and Jesus told them to catch a fish. Look at verse 8. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it. Jesus said, come. Come eat with me, boys. Uh, and this is where uh, Jesus restores Peter in that passage there, right? If you look, it's over there for you. If you look up there, and you read on in John 21, we're going to get there, so I'm not going to go into it in detail, but around the charcoal fire is where Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Why three times? Because three times Jesus, Peter denied he knew Jesus. Think about this. In John 18, three different times, we're going to cover it today, Peter denies he knows Jesus, and he's left standing around a charcoal fire. The only other time in Scripture a charcoal fire is mentioned, and he's warming himself at the enemy's fire, and Jesus builds that exact same fire, takes Peter to his very point of failure, and with much grace and mercy as he can, restores him and says, okay, that's what you did, but now who are you going to become? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to change your ways? Are you willing to love me and love the people and be my lead disciple? And of course, Peter did. We know that he did that. Uh, there's also uh, another passage right here. Uh, Luke twenty two thirty one. Jesus foretells Peter's denial. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And the you there is plural. Sift all the disciples. But I have prayed for you, singular, that you, you, Peter, your faith may not fail. And when you, singular, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So, uh, the proof is that it's important is the fact that Jesus had to restore him there. But the, it's also new, interesting, that even before it happened, Jesus here in Luke 22 predicts the sifting of the disciples that would come when he was arrested and tried. And that, there, and that Jesus prayed specifically for Peter that he would be restored when you have turned again, which he, which he is turned again in John 21 as Jesus takes him back to the charcoal fire and says, do you love me? How does that apply to me and you? How does that apply to you and I? How does that apply to you and me? Whatever the proper English is, it applies like this. How many times have we said, I'm sure this is okay this one time? This one time I can rationalize that I can go this way or I can hang out with these friends or I can not do my devotions or my prayer or I can walk in this uh, disobedience and it starts you down this slope of, well, we're actually denying the Savior by our actions. And then we're getting comfortable around the enemy's fire. And it can be disastrous. For Judas, it ended in death. He hung himself. At least Peter was had the sense to repent and come back and say, yes, Lord, I love you and I will follow you. So it's a side note, but rationalization of your actions is deadly. All right, let's go on to... Denial number two. John eighteen twenty five. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. <laughs> See, there he is. Hmm. That's why you don't get warm at the enemy's fire. It just leads to the slippery slope of sin and regret. It led to denial number two. So they said to him, 
Well, they couldn't have said that to him if he hadn't been there. You see what I'm saying? A lot of, well, I sinned. Well, I made a mistake. Well, these guys got me to do this. Well, this girl dragged me into this. Well, my friend said do this. Well, I was here and the movie had this and the music. I don't know. Peter was still warming himself at the enemy's fire, and that led down the slippery slope to denial number two. Be like Joseph and flee, even if you need to leave your belongings. So they said to him, you are also not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. What is it? I think it's in Ephesians that says, let him who steals, steal no longer. If Satan has stolen things from you, if he has gotten you out of place with the beloved and you feel more comfortable around those who are not the children of God, don't let Satan steal any more time from you. Don't let him lead you down this slope and bring destruction. Let him who steals, steal no longer. Don't let Satan steal the days you have on this earth. We want to give glory to God. And here, Peter, finding himself more comfortable around the enemy. It reminds me of... Uh, Psalm chapter 1, right? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk and counsel, stand in the way, sit in the seat of mockers. Right? It's kind of progressive. You walk, then you stand, then you sit. You become like those who you're around. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Don't let your life be stolen. Bad company corrupts you. And then finally we go to Strike three, Peter. John 18, 26 and 27. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden? Hello? You cut off my relative's ear. This is like the cousin of the guy whose ear he cut off. Peter again denied it. Okay, I'll say this. In the end, well, in the end, your sin will find you out. That's another scripture. But in the end, you will not fit in. This is why you. I said in the previous slide, I said in the previous slide that you don't want to catch yourself warming yourself around the enemy's fire because it leads down the slippery slope and then Satan is stealing your life away from you. Well, you're going to have to come back. You're not going to fit in. If you're truly the elect child of God, if you're one of his, you're not going to fit in with the world, right? He's hanging out and finally somebody knows him. Hey, wait a minute. Aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? Didn't I see you in the garden? Weren't you the guy that drew your sword and cut off my cousin's ear? Now you're pretending to be one of us? So it, it was bad. Kind of like Good Friday. It was good, but it was bad. This was bad that Peter didn't fit in and that they he stood out. In one version, they're like, even your accent gives you away. We know you're not one of us. You're different the way you talk, the way you carry yourself. Hello, that's not bad. That's good. If you are trying to be a chameleon, if we are trying to blend in with the decadent world around us, if you are living in Babylon and you're trying to become Babylonian and fit in with all the other babblers, it's worse if you fit in and no one knows. If your conscience is seared and you're there and you fit in and you're like that frog in the warm water that's slowly cooking and you don't even know, but here... The good news is, the bad news is he didn't fit in. The good news was that he still didn't fit in. Wait a minute. Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Isn't your accent different? Oh, the grace of God that just won't let us go. I remember back in my youth at times, I made silly decisions and 
it seems like if I had to recall clearly, I would say every time I was set on being stupid, God stepped in and miraculously delivered me. There was a call in my life. I, my parents prayed over me, and I was dedicated to ministry from a very young age, and it seemed like every time I was in a situation that could have turned out bad, it never did because I got out of there, or the Lord got me out of there, or something changed. The grace of God wouldn't let me go. He wasn't going to let me destroy myself. And that's kind of what's going on here with Peter. Even though he's sinning and he's denying Christ, the grace of God just won't let him go. He's not fitting in with the enemy. Oh, I have that extra detail for you. Here it is in Matthew. Uh, talking about the slippery slope. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. I like that. Your accent betrays you. The way you talk as a Christian, the way you carry yourself, the light in your eyes, people should know. There's something different. But for Peter, he'd gone down the slippery slope. And this blessing became a curse. Look at this. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear. He cursed and swore. He called out a curse on himself. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. He came to the bottom of the slippery slope, fell in the mud pie, the pig slop, like the prodigal son. Three denials. Then cursing. Well, oh, swearing is more like cursing. Swearing to prove he's not. And then calling down a curse from God. Cursed be me. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. The lead disciple that just earlier was saying, I will die with you. Though everybody else turns away from you, I will go to the cross with you. I'm your man. No, you're going to deny me three times. But don't worry, Peter. I've prayed for you, and I'll restore you, and then I want you to lead your brothers. So actually his character was formed even in his failures because he didn't quit. He didn't hang himself like Judas. This, this grief didn't turn to death. It turned to repentance, and it turned to life, and it turned to growth. And when you read... First and Second Peter, you see a much more mature man of God that's had the character of God transformed him through his own failures. But when Jesus came to restore him, he ran back to Jesus and was restored. You know, Lord, I love you, he said. But how tragic here, as he begins to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know the man! And immediately, the rooster crowed. And you know right then, when that happened, he knows. You know, when you make a poor choice, when you go down the wrong road, when you defile the name of Christ with your actions or your inactions, you know right then. And after that comes the regret. And I'm going to ask, how many days are squandered in the city of regret and despair? You remember the, the, the well, I don't know if you do, but uh, supposedly... The book translated into English that's the most read is the Bible. But the second, it seems like it wasn't written in English. I think it was translated. But either way, the second rest, most read book is Pilgrim's Progress in the English language after the Bible. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've been told. But anyways, Pilgrim's Progress is a great book, and it's an allegory. It's been made into movies multiple times, cartoons, movies, old movies, modern movies. But I just remember all the side roads he and all the traps and all the wrong people he met. And I can't remember 
the slew of despond right he found himself in despair and he's bubbling down in there and he feels terrible and he's not going to get out and he's drowning in his own despair what can save me from this weight of sin it sounds like romans 6 right who can save me in romans 7 i'm so sinful and i don't i do what i shouldn't do and i don't do what i did do it but that's all solved by romans 8 thanks be to god christ jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death don't spin don't squander your days in regret and despair it's almost like a double stealing from you satan steals from you and tricks you into sinning and defaming the name of god and then he compounds that with with regret and despair and it's kind of like a double whammy let's look at peter's regret next verse in matthew verse 75 right so you go back and the rooster crows and then verse 75 and peter remembered the saying of jesus see he remembered he knew in fact luke says that jesus looked right at peter Peter just didn't remember as it was happening. The rooster crows. He's like, oh no. And then he turns and Jesus is just staring at him. And you got to just figure the sorrow there and the sadness. I prayed for you, Peter. I prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. I knew you were going to be sifted. You said you would not turn your back on me, but I still love you, Peter. It's the grace of God. Peter remembered Jesus saying before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Ouch. Hmm. Hmm. Now, grief and sorrow and consequences. But you don't have to go down the road of Judas. It doesn't end in death. We can rid ourselves of the regret. We can repent. We can turn back. We can receive the grace of God. But I want to say something else here. Even though in the age of grace, praise God that we have the blood of Jesus that covers us from all sin and we can repent and he will wash us and we'll be white as snow. Christian maturity is to learn to prevent before you have to repent. Now listen, that's good. You can repent. God is only as far away as, as you humbling yourself before him and repenting. But instead of going out and weeping bitterly and always coming back to God and being, that's part of the growth process, so that's okay. But be striving to prevent sin in your life. Prevent is always better than repent. But praise God that we have the backstop of repenting. Don't be like Judas and die in your despair. So I guess that's the question is when we find ourselves far from God, when we find ourselves denying his name with our words and our actions how do we not be like judas but instead be like peter how do we deal with the grief and the regret and the consequences to sin i think the answer is found not actually in the words of peter but in the words of paul later to the church of corinth which dealt with a lot of sin among their members and here's what paul said to them 2 Corinthians 7, 2. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Oh. Whereas worldly grief produces death. This is it. This is the culmination of the story of Peter's denial contrasted 
with Judas' betrayal. You tell me which was worse. To betray your Lord and Savior for silver, for greedy gain. Remember, he was a thief. To betray him for money. And maybe he thought not only was he going to get rich, but that Jesus was going to rise up and squash the Romans. You don't know Judas' motivation. But in his betrayal, his worldly grief produced death. He couldn't come back. He'd gone too far. He couldn't return. And it ended in death. Was that worse than Peter denying the Lord three times to the people who were putting him on trial? Calling down curses upon himself? Swearing? And then remembering the Lord had said, Peter, all your good intentions washed away. He wept barely too, but the difference was Peter went through repentance. How do we know? Because we look at the restoration of Peter. We look at how he acted after the fact. We look at that it didn't end in death, that Jesus called him friend afterwards, brought him on, and we're going to get there in John 21, brought him to the shore, fed him breakfast, restored him to the lead disciple, and then he ended up leading the church and being a martyr and writing more books. Don't let your sin win by making it an end. A little bit of rhyme there, but it's very important. Don't let sin win by making it an end. If, you, if, if and when you do sin, repent, come back to Jesus, receive the grace, and then say, Lord, next time I want to prevent this sin. Thank you that I can repent. Praise God. But I want to learn to prevent this. Thank you that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to cleansing, repentance, salvation, wholeness with God, no regret. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life, Jesus, has set me free from the law of sin and death. So I close with this. Etch this on your forehead. Well, I mean, not literally, but maybe. I would like to see someone get a tattoo on their forehead of this. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your car. Put it somewhere where you see it. Write this down. We're talking about identity here as a child of God and the fact that Part of the growth process is failure. We just can't stay there. Here it is. It's not what I've done that defines me, but what I do with what I've done. It's not what I've done that defines me. Quit saying, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm just a this, I'm a that, I've always been this. You know, in church, I teach this over and over again, that quit just saying, we're just sinners saved by grace. Because... That is not accounting for the full grace of God. It's not showing the transition through time. We were sinners. We've been... Where's the timeline? Which way does it go for you guys? We were sinners. We've been saved by grace. We were sinners. We've been saved by grace. We are now children of God. And he's transforming us to be his saints in light. So it's not what I've done in the past that defines me. It's what I do now with what I've done or what I allow Christ to do with what I've done. Run into the arms of God's grace. Don't be like Jesus. Be like Peter. Go back to John chapter 21 and remember that Jesus, his only real question for Peter was what? Denial, denial, denial. The only three questions he had, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Turn from sin and be forgiven and lean into the transforming power of God's Spirit, which Peter did. Look at Pentecost, just down the road, 
and then the greatest sermon he preached and thousands got saved. Look at the difference of the disciples in the Gospels versus the disciples in Acts when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. Do you love me? Yes. Turn from your sin, be forgiven, lean into the grace of God and let the power of God transform you. Though Satan may try to sift you like wheat, your Savior's praying for you and he's gonna restore you and he's gonna use you to reach others. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for John 18 and the teaching on the Garden of Gethsemane and that stone that was laid on Jesus Christ, the sin of the world, the cup of iniquity. And then for the reminder of the dark side of the coin, Judas and the betrayal and the grief that ends in death. And now here, the light side of the coin, the other picture, the denial, but the repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Yes, we love you. Help us to show our love for you every day by how we live. And though we may make mistakes, praise God that we can repent and be washed and be whiter than snow. And Lord, I trust that you're developing us into those Christians that glorify you by learning even how to prevent sin in our life so that we can truly be called your faithful disciples. Thank you for your word that is true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Thanks for being with me today. God bless you.